Have you ever been asked to fill out a form and you find the word female, male, or other? What does that even mean? Hi everyone and welcome back to Feminist on the Pod. My name is Olivia, your host as per usual. And if you're new, go ahead and subscribe for more weekly episodes. So, all of us has grown knowing the word girl and boy way too well. When you were a kid, you were always just told, oh, she's a girl, he's a boy, and um, stuff like that. However, as we grow up, we discover how this world is not always so simple. In today's episode, we're learning about sex, gender, and sexual orientation into the deep oceans. So, we always like to start the episode with a clear definition here, as per usual, just to establish a clear common ground for us to work through the episode really well and smooth. So, we want to define sex first, because it is perhaps the most simple and traditional um, term to be defined. So, we learn biology at some point in our lives, whether we realize it or not, we somehow learn biology in life. So, according to the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, sex is defined as a set of biological attributes in humans and animals, which primarily associated with physical and physiological features, including chromosomes, gene expression, hormone levels and function, and reproductive or sexual anatomy. So traditionally, we know there's um, two sexes, so it's binary, traditionally, remember that word. Um, So we know usually female or male. But we're going to jump into a little bit more complex stuff um, in the later part of this episode. So just hold on that word traditionally first. On the other hand, gender refers to the socially constructed roles, behaviors, expression, and identities of girl, women, boys, men, and gender diverse people. It influences how people perceive themselves and each other, how they act, interact, and the distribution of power and resources in the society. So I feel like when um, the institution is citing about distribution of power and resources in society, we know that there has been um, different treatments and inequalities between genders, which I think um, should be stopped. But we'll see how it goes. So gender identity here is more of like how you perceive yourself, how you identify yourself. It's like your identity that you create. Well, sex, it's more of an autonomical, um, biological thing. It's um, something you cannot create by yourself. It's more of given by birth. So because of your chromosomes and um, reproductive systems and etc. So you cannot really um, create your own sex, but you can create your own gender by knowing how you identify yourself, how you behave, and... um, just how you would like to define yourself in a diverse society. So we know that gender identity is not static. It's not binary. Um, there's definitely girls, women, boys, men. And there's definitely um, 
gender diverse people, such as like agender, and then we may have transgender, and etc. There's a lot of them. And so, when we know this, it's kind of like um, a part of us that either we receive or we create, um, respectively. And then we have sexual orientation. So sexual orientation, the word orientation, is more of like your preference in um, your romantic and sexual life. So whether you prefer to um, have a romantic attraction. Well, you don't prefer your attraction, but let's just gonna say it that way. So whether you are attracted to men, attracted to women, attracted to female, male, um, or both maybe, that's your sexual orientation. So we have, for example, lesbian, gay, and then bisexuals. Um, those are just um, some. And then we have asexual, which are people who are not generally attracted to any of those sexes. And so to know this um, is a great way to start the conversation going. And if you haven't been um, explained clear enough from this episode you may go ahead and just check out a lot of resources on the internet um, regarding the differences between sex um, gender and sexual orientation but be sure to find resources that are credible just you know before we start continuing to discuss further about this We started off pretty simple with the definition of sex, and it is traditionally known as binary, so we have female and male. And it wasn't too long ago that I discovered that there was not two sexes. It's even more. So, I was in my biology class in 10th grade, I believe, and it was on the second semester. And so, my teacher was explaining about um, this chromosomes thingy so we were learning about genes dna's and chromosomes and we figured that the 23rd chromosome is the one that is determining your sex so female is generally xx and then male is xy but later on my teacher said that there could be people who have xxy or xyy chromosome and they they do not belong to this conventional category that female is xx and male is xy so according to um, the journal of the royal society of medicine uh, we have six at least the biological sexes that exist and you know can result in fairly normal lifespan and they can live like a normal person so we have x which is roughly 1 in 2,000 to 1 in 5,000 people. Um, This is just the karyotypes that I'm going to be reading. So we have XX, the most common in female. And then we have XY, and then that's the common form of male. Then we have XXY. So this one is pretty rare. It's just like 1 in 500 to 1 in 1,000 people. And then we have XYY, and then we have XXXY. So, looking at this um, trend, we know that P 
people who have the Y chromosome will generally um, appear as men. But most of the time, people are unaware of their true sex, which means their karyotypes, because people are rarely, rarely you know, getting tested for their karyotypes and DNAs and genes, etc. So they may not realize that they're XXY, or they may not realize that they're XXXY. So, you know, this is, uh, this is something that happens, and it is normal to happen. It is expected in the modern era right now. But the most shocking thing, too, is that these things does not only happen in the chromosomal level. So, um, as I was saying earlier, um, if you have a Y chromosome, you generally appear as men. And, you know, most people, in fact, 97 out of 100 people who have XXY, they don't realize that they have that um, karyotype. They think they're just um, the common type of men um, chromosome, so XY. Um, looking at this um, sort of chromosomal level of things, we also notice a lot of um, different, you know, behaviors in people who are XXY or XYY. And so actually this chromosomal level will affect um, individuals on the physical level. But further on to the more anatomical physical level that we can um, quickly realize or see, there are people who may have um, the genitalia of a man so a penis, and then inside there will be a reproductive system of um, the uterus and basically women's reproduction system inside, and vice versa. So these things happen, and people who um, experience this thing, is, um, they're called intersex. So people who are intersex, um, we know that it may be considered as an abnormality, but apparently, this is explainable in um, chromosomal level and, and basically it's um, something that can happen during the um, spontaneous mutations and, or spontaneous just crossovers in the you know, fertilization process. So we know now that, well... It's not that simple. We don't have just two sexes. So we know that um, this is happening um, in our society too. And what I like to kind of touch on a little bit just tangibly is the fact that not all organs in your body is the same sex. They, they may be a same sex um, like your whole body is female or your body is male and um, any other type of sex. But there is um, evidence in research that um, some parts of your body, they have their own um, cells and they may not be the same sex as each other. So, so that's unique about humans. Why are we talking about karyotypes and genes and things in sex? We'll see later and how it will correlate to sexual orientation, how it will correlate to kind of 
um, people's preference in, not preference, people's attraction in their sexual orientation. So we'll see. Speaking of how we have come to the page where we know that sex is diverse and it's not just binary like how we conventionally would know, we like to correlate this to how feminism works. And I want to make this argument that should correlate on how feminism should be intersectional. We discussed feminism earlier in this podcast on the first episode about you know, just defining feminism and how it works on the overall spectrum. But now I want to make an argument on the intersectionality in feminism. And it is showing here when we were filming the, not filming, when we were recording the first episode, we were talking about how feminism is intersectional and it should encompass everybody. And we were discussing on the basis of sex that time. So we were discussing about female and male. And we were on the binary side um, as a prior common ground. Now since we have come to knowing that sex is diverse. When we talk about equality of the sexes. Like the first episode suggests. Then we should encompass all of the sexes. We need to cover all of the equality of people who are intersex, people who are traditionally like the most common female type or the most common male type. So we need to encompass and make sure that equality is reached among all variations and genetical expressions of sex. And this brings us to the argument that we should also encompass every gender and sexual identity, sexual orientation, or we like to just shortly call it sexuality. Now, we know that the chromosomes and the genes, they are the ones determining our biological sex. However, they are also the ones determining our um, tendencies of being a certain gender and tendencies of being a certain sexuality. Now, let's talk about gender. For genders, certain genes and DNA variants um, in our chromosomes, especially on usually the hormone pathway, some brain patterns and also some hormones and genes that are um, linked to our developmental functions, they are known to construct our genders. So. One source stated that um, basically gender is determined by um, hormones. Um, A lot of it comes from hormones and usually we start to see traits in early puberty or childhood. Um, So on a prominent study, uh, a study of like 380 trans women shows that high frequency of a particular DNA variance in the four genes that would alter sex hormone signaling while they have been developing in the utero. So the study proves that there is a tendency, a very high frequency of certain DNAs that, you know, 
that is present in trans women. And this shows a trend, which means that this is evidence that our genes and DNA variants will be able to determine our tendency to be a certain gender, especially when it comes to hormones, because um, hormones are the ones um, triggering usually also our physical and also mental capability. And so um, seeing this evidence, we know that our genes and chromosomes, DNA, genetic materials, they have this influence on who we would like to identify ourselves. So looking at this and looking at the equality of the sexes, we now recognize that it makes so much sense to have feminism cover everyone from whatever gene, whatever sex it is. Because looking at like who we are as human beings driven by all these chromosomes and genes, and they do overlap. Um, especially when it comes to like gender and then like developmental functions, genes overlap a lot. And so with today's DNA sequencing technology and like so much more um, genetic technology, we know how um, prominent their, their roles are. And so, you know, feminism should encompass each and every single um, aspect for this. And there has also uh, been evidence on the sexual orientation problem. According to the New York Times, a new study led by Benjamin Niel, a geneticist at MIT and Harvard, they found evidence that genetics does play a role in same-sex sex attractions. And the influence does not even come from a single gene, but from many, many genes. So... Uh, to summarize the study, basically they found differences in genetic details of same-sex behavior and in men and women. And the research also suggests that genetics of the same sexual behavior shares a correlation with genes involved in some mental health issues and personality traits. I think it's, um, this is one of probably like why we often see people who are... Um, homosexuals they were once classified as having like mental health issues and that homosexuality is a mental illness however we can argue that um these mental health issues and some personality traits are sometimes they are triggered by the society as well and also, the author of this study said that overlap could simply reflect the stress of enduring societal prejudice, which is not fake. I mean, it's, it's very real. We can see um, prejudice against them each and every single day. And we need to remember also that WHO has declassified homosexuality as, you know, a mental illness. So it's no longer um, something related to your mental health. Someone could be homosexual and they could have perfectly um, healthy body, healthy mind. And it doesn't, one research also proves that um, it has nothing to do with like capability or like intellectual and cognitive functions. So we need to understand that attraction is something that may come as innate from your genes, your genetics, but it is not 
um, correlated with like mental illness um, when it comes when we we're talking about something that's innate. There has also been um, this research on the gene XQ28, which is thought to be the controlling gene for homosexuality. Evidence has found on homosexual men, um, we haven't found anything on women yet, that there's linkage on the XQ21 markers and sexual orientation on men. However, this research is still like on the verge of debate, so they are doing much, much more research on that. And they, so far, that's what they discover. It's a correlation between this gene and the sexual orientation on men. So, now we know that our um, genes, our chromosomes, um, they are largely controlling on our body and many aspects of them, especially when it's supported by Benjamin Niall's um, research. We know that so many, many genes, they play a role in this thing. And so we can see a lot clearer that this opens up a new possibility for a lot of overlapping things because we know biology works overlappingly hormones they work very um complex structures and you know um sometimes hormones can be like antagonistic or you know kind of like supporting each other and they overlap for example like um certain estrogen and progesterone traits um they do have a lot of overlapping areas and also antagonistic areas. So when we're looking at this argument, we should see that um, these genes, they are what is causing um, certain tendencies in sex, gender, and sexuality. And so when we're talking about the basis of kind of equality between the sexes, we also need to look at the overlapping areas of this which is gender and sexual orientation. And so this is why feminism should be intersectional. Because when we're talking about sex, it's about genes. And genes, they determine everything about us. So it's like a chain when you start to see that this overlapping very much complexity really begs for consistency in our, um, consistency in our action. So when we... When we just refer to sex, we refer to genes, and genes will also refer to so many things such as your race, your um, sexuality, your genders, again. And so this is why feminism should be intersectional, for the sake of consistency in how we define the movement. Now, the key takeaway from here um, that I would definitely have to repeat, and I want you guys to understand really is that you know we need to not so be quick to judge anyone um sometimes we tend to um judge people based on our conventional um you know mindset which is hardly wired in the society and i'm not gonna lie sometimes i also have prejudice which i think is kind of wired in me since i was a child but i'm struggling too to kind of just let go of that prejudice. We need to try to dismiss the widespread notion that sexuality and gender is based on just the aspect of 
hanging out with the wrong people, a wrong society, or a mistake, or like a bad choice a person made. So next time before you judge anyone for their genders or orientation, please remember that it's not, it's not simply who they choose to be. It's more of a complex part of their identity, which is determined by both physi- physiological, biological, anatomical, and so much psychological factors is um, in their blood and their unique representation um, leads to a very complex identity that they want to present. So next time someone's making a choice to commit to a certain identity, then we need to know that there's so much more going on um, than just on the surface level that we know of a person. So yeah, I hope I hope you guys can understand this part of the story very well. There you have it, everyone. Today we learned so much more about sex, gender, and sexuality, or sexual orientation, and how biological factors may drive them, how genes affect our sexes, how genes would drive our tendency for gender and sexuality expressions. We also learned that there is so much more than the binary confinement in gender and sex, and that there is so many variations um, within the biological body of a person. So the key takeaway from this episode, everyone, is just to remind all of us that we should not be so quick to judge anyone because we never know what's going on underneath, right? So it's not just about when it comes to sex, gender, or sexuality, but it's also in about almost everything. So... Just remain positive because we never know if there's any anything innate to them. And when people are trying to express themselves, it is who they are. And we are all unique in this planet created for some something very special and very good especially. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys learned about that today. And I'll see you next Wednesday with a brand new episode very exciting conversation and topic and a very special guest for all of you so i'll see you next wednesday bye